Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. One of God's most magnificent creatures is the bald eagle. And if you ever did study about how they care for their offspring, uh, you would be amazed. Uh, prior to the delivery of eaglets, both the male and the female eagle, adult eagles, in preparation, they begin to form a nest in the most safe and secure place, often perched in high parts of mountains uh, where their offspring can be uh, safe. These feathers and cotton and grass and anything that they can find that is pliable and soft, uh, that's how they make the nest. And then when the eaglets are finally born, uh, it is the father's role, both father and mother sit on the, on the eggs, but it's the father's primary role to go and find food for the offspring. And for the first six weeks of their lives, uh, every day, the father goes out and he gets food for his developing offspring. And within the sixth week of their lives, they are as large as adult eagles. And it is in that period of time that the mother eagle starts to do something very peculiar. She begins to do what is called stirring the nest. And in that process, she begins to pick apart the nest that was the source of comfort for the eaglets. She starts to take the cotton and the fur and the grass. Everything that is shot soft inside the nest is removed. And all that remains are the sharp, jagged, jagged pointed ends of the nest, which causes the eaglets to be very uncomfortable in the nest. And while all this is happening, the father continues to go get food, but he'll approach the nest with the food where the eaglets can see it and smell it, but he doesn't give it to them. But they begin, as they're smelling and seeing the food, they will flap their wings and flap their wings, but they can't fly. They're still in their developmental stage. It's not long after they have been deprived of food that they began to stir in that nest and, and decide that if we're going to live, we got to get out of this nest. We're going to have to fly. And so instead of the mother and the father eagles helping the eaglets to fly, they allowed them to leave the nest on their own and to fly so that they too can learn how to provide for themselves. Now the interesting thing about that is that only 40% of eagles who leave their nests actually survive. 60% aren't strong enough to live beyond their first attempt at flying. And that may seem cruel 
But eagles understand that if the offspring is to fly, they have to get out of the nest and they can't be guilty of enabling the eaglets to be overly dependent because if they are, they will never become what they were created to be. Somebody say amen. If you're going to help people in your life that you say you love, you have to be honest. There must be total disclosure. That's why Jesus said again, I have that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Until we are able to be or willing to be honest with the people that we say we love, including ourselves, we will never fully understand in our personal experience what it means to be free, what it means to experience the life Jesus said. I have come to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. You will live your entire life in bondage if you don't learn how to be honest with yourself. And one of the questions that we need to answer honestly to ourselves is the one that I believe our, our, our scriptures will help us to get a handle on today, and that is, are you... Are you an enabler? Are you an enabler? Now, in order to appreciate the reality of what we actually are or are not, I believe that there's at least three things in the Word of God that will help us. First of all, clarification is needed. Secondly, I want to, want to consider with you from the Word of God characteristics of people who are enablers, and thirdly, curative steps that we can take to overcome enabling when it doesn't please God. You and I need clarification. We all struggle with this. Somebody say amen. I'm not the only one. Now, the clarification that we need is, what is the difference between helping someone and enabling them? Now, let's start with what it means to help someone. Helping someone is doing something for someone that he or she is incapable of doing for themselves. If they are unable to do it for themselves and it needs to be done, if you step in with support, that is helping. That is positive and appropriate. In fact, the Word of God says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, verse 3, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I want you to notice two things. What is said in verse 2 is a command. He's, we are commanded to bear one another's burdens. And when I am operating in obedience to that command, the Bible says we're fulfilling the word of God. We're fulfilling the law of God. That word burden has to do with life situations that have occurred in someone's personal experience 
that has overwhelmed them, that on their own they are incapable of correcting or, 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 or it may even involve surviving it or doing it in such a way that they are not permanently damaged or harm others. And so this idea is that the, sometimes things happen in the lives of our children and our spouses, and, and it's not necessarily uh, intentional whatever occurred to them, but you can see that if you don't intervene, they will be devastated and overwhelmed. The load is too heavy for that person. The burden can be physical, financial, emotional, or mental. The person genuinely needs help to make it through. Sometimes the problem that you're helping someone who is unable in their own strength to overcome. That's why the Bible says two is better than one. Iron sharpens iron. Uh, we should confess our sins one to another. There is a time when you need support. There's a time when you need to come out of the closet. And I ain't talking about to say that you, and if you are, whatever you're struggling with, if you come out, you need to be coming out to get some biblical help so that what needs to be corrected that has become more than you can handle, you get support. In verse 1 of chapter 6 in Galatians, it says, you who are spiritual, restore brothers and sisters who have been overcome, who have been overtaken with sin. There are people who are trapped in sin uh, lifestyles that on their own, that life-dominating sin or something that they don't, they don't even recognize the danger that they're in, that we need to swoop in for restoration's sake. And the scripture says, in, with a spirit of meekness and humility, lest you be overtaken. <laughs> and so the first part in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, we are commanded, bear one another's burdens. Hold people's arms up when they can't do it for themselves. The second part of that, the scripture says, when you think that you are something but you're not, you're deceiving yourself. And that's the parallel to verse 1, that what somebody is struggling with today that is overwhelming to them could be your struggle tomorrow. Because but by the grace of God, so go I. And so we, we don't want to be arrogant about this thing, but, but the Scripture says help those who are unable to help themselves. Now, the opposite side of that coin is enabling. And that has to do with doing something for someone, doing something for, doing, doing for someone what he or she should be and could be doing for themselves. When you do something for someone that they can and should be doing for themselves, when you intervene and call yourself helping, you're really enabling them to continue to do behaviors that are not going to help that person become all that Christ wants them to be. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen to uh, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, the word of God, listen, he says, 
For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For he, now, is it, some people cannot work. And there are, people, there are other people who should not work for one reason or another. But if you're standing outside of Wawa's and you are a healthy, able-bodied person, I'm not going to enable you by putting money in your pocket so I won't feel guilty. I do not feel guilty giving a man, not giving a man money when he could work for it. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are, but are busybodies. So they're doing work. But the work that they're doing is creating chaos and confusion in the body of Christ. Now, those who are such, we command you and exhort you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. That they work in quietness, that they get a job. You don't need a 21-gun salute because you do what you, you were created to do. A man should work. God gave Adam a job. And he, and he, and he in Titus chapter 1, a Titus 2, a Titus 2 woman, but her first priority, but I said, she is a keeper of her home. She takes care of her home and her family. That's the priority. Doesn't mean that's the only thing you can do. But when you are doing that work that is assigned to you by commandment in the word of God, you don't deserve no pat on the back. That's your job. Come on, church, help me. Amen, that's your job. He says, work in quietness and eat your own bread. I don't know how many times I've taken a couple brothers, not at this church. <laughs> they never pay. Don't even offer to pay. God said, eat your own bread. That doesn't mean you don't share it, but you ought to have enough resources. And I'm always hesitant to be saying, pray for people who don't have the gift. You got something to give. The question is, where are you giving it to? And when God says that we ought to tithe, and if you don't, you're stealing, that's, that you argue with God. That's not, I didn't say that. You have something to give. Come on, church. Amen. We're moving on. And so when you, when you consistently make excuses and rescue people that refuse to change destructive behavior, you are, in a, you are an enabler. People who refuse and make excuses about their destructive behavior and it doesn't change over time, and you rescue them, you're not helping them, you're enabling them. There's a difference between helping and enabling. Enablers are people who encourage or enable negative destructive behavior in others. When you know that someone is about to do wrong or is doing wrong or you, is, you assist them in doing wrong, you are an enabler. Well, that's my boy. We go to same church. We know Jesus. But if they're doing wrong, the Bible says that we are our brother's keepers, that faithful are the wounds of a friend. So if you know that somebody's about to commit sin and they share that with you, 
and you say nothing about it, you are, in an, you are enabling them to walk, away, to, to walk away from God. Now, here's how that works. The Bible says, let no man say when he is tempted that he's tempted of God, for God doesn't tempt anybody with evil, but when we, but when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own lust. And when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, it's, there's a progression. So that person that informs you that they're about to try something for the first time, and you say, okay, I'm, I'm cool, I ain't going to tell nobody, just don't get stuck on it, don't get, don't get, they, they, they tried it for the first time, now they're hospice patient, because what you didn't speak out against has contributed to something that became for them. You tried it once and you were fine, but they tried it the first time and they got hooked. And so when you know that somebody is doing wrong, and here's a, here's a this ain't cute, but it's not, ignore it's funny. There are people who would love to see your children destroyed. I'm running away and I ain't coming back. Back in the day, my parents would say, can I help you back? Wait, I'll go after dinner. Uh-uh, uh-uh, you don't get any dinner. And then you go out, and you, you, you try to find a friend. Can I stay at your house? And their parents say, they don't just, they say, no. In the name of Jesus, no. I don't care how many doors you knock on, nobody's going to go against your parental authority and take you in. Today, if your child says they want to run away, you got 10 neighbors that would take them in and believe every lie that your child tells them about you. And the reality is they don't care about the, in fact, they've been watching your family. They go to church every Sunday. They read their Bible. I know they think they're better than everybody else. They're going to see, wait, I, I know the door. Wait until he or she starts acting up. And they take your child in, and they let them do everything that they know that you, would, you taught them not to do. And your child thinks, oh, that's freedom. I finally got away from my crazy parents. No, these people are contributing by enabling you to do evil to lead you away from the Lord. David had an elder son. His name was Amnon. And he said he loved his own half-sister, Tamar. And what he meant is, I'm lusting for her. And he was so filled with lust to have sex with his own sister that he literally got sick. And one of his friends, one of his advisors, uh, Jonabad, the Bible says he was very crafty in 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 3. He was very shrewd. And he saw Amnon. He said, man, what you looking so down and up? You're the king's son. You're the pastor's son. Whatever's at that church, you're the pastor's son. You're the king's son. He said, well, let, let, me, let me just tell you why I'm so, I'm just out of it. I'm depressed. I, I want some, uh, some Xanax and whatever some of the other uh, psychotropic medications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just got to get me something, some Haldol, Haldol. I got to get myself. He said, no, 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 you don't need no Haldol. Let me tell you what to do. You tell your dad that you are sick and that the only person that can take care of you is Tamar. And when Tamar comes to your, your place, make sure nobody's there but you and her. And you can have her just like you want her. He, he didn't commit the rape, 
Jonadad, but he was an accomplice. He was an enabler. When you know that somebody is doing wrong or about to do wrong, are you a sis? I know you're not married to her, but you can use my apartment anytime you want to. What? Are you going to church? Yeah, I'm going to church. But after I, after I leave your key, no, no, no. That's, if you're saved and you're doing that, you are an enabler and you, you become an accomplice with Satan. Enablers are people that encourage or enable negative and destructive behavior in others. Enablers become indirect participants in sin of the other person that they're trying to protect from divine consequences. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Do not participate in the sin of others. To enable someone to sin is to encourage someone to continue in sin, to empower his ability to sin, and to make it easier. You're making it easier. And so what happens is you may not, you're in the car, and you just say, well, look, man, I need some money. I'm going to hit this bank, and, and I, you don't have to come in. You just handle the driving. You just let me know if the cops come, and they get the money, and you pull off, and the cop catches your friend because the dye blew up in his face, and he got red and green and purple all over him, and he said, I didn't do it. And the cops are hand, taking him away in handcuffs. And guess who else is going away in handcuffs? You're an accomplice. When you do not take a stand against evil, when you say nothing, you are, in fact, empowering and encouraging people to continue in their sin and to make it easy. People shouldn't feel comfortable around you as a Christian living in sin if they're, other, if they're Christian. Well, uh, I don't want to be self-righteous, so I'm not going to tell somebody that they can't be uh, stealing from work. I mean, if they get caught, they get caught. Somebody said that, how can two walk together unless they agree? So now, not only are they looking at the one who did the stealing, they're looking at you. And so you become an enabler. You become indirectly a participant and an enabler when you don't stand up for what is right. Well, you know it's political correctness today. Well. I'm not trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to be biblically correct. I'm waiting for some of these, these, these yellow back, cowardly nationwide preachers who have these massive audience to say something about what's going on in Washington. When are we going to stand up? We live with this craziness every single day. This is the word of God. You become enablers when you don't speak up. And when the church is silent, people die. We don't talk about AIDS. We don't talk about socially, other socially transmitted diseases. And we'll talk about that in church. No, if we don't talk about it, the word of God talks about it. In Yellowstone Park, if you were to visit, that's the largest park in the world, just about everywhere you drive, they're going to say, don't feed the bears. Don't feed the bears. Now, there was a time in the, in the uh, early 1900s where it was considered a part of your experience to put garbage into trash cans and sit in the stands and watch the bears come and eat. But now, if you, if you feed bears, you are going to be punished. You can get a stiff, hefty fine. And the reason is twofold. 
what they discovered was over time, they were finding dead bears everywhere. And what's the question? Let's go do a, let's do a, 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 you know, a, a, a biological a study and figure this thing out, zoological study. Why are these bears dying? One, they had forgotten how to hunt because they were so dependent upon humans feeding them. And then those who knew how to hunt became so lazy that they wouldn't hunt for themselves. They just died of starvation. I want you to know when we, are, when we enable people to do what God has said is wrong, we are, we are actually feeding their sin nature and teaching them how to become totally, to reach that place where the Lord said, I've turned you over reprobation. I've turned you over to a seared conscience. I've turned you over to a place where when I'm speaking, you can't even hear. I've taken you, you have gone to a place of no return where there is no prayer, there is no anointing, there is no, where, where, where there is an opportunity for you to be restored. I believe we can, we can help people when we don't restore them to drift so far away from God that he cuts the anchor. And so there's a difference between helping and enabling. If someone can do it for themselves, and I'm not saying go get your husband. He can get a cup of coffee for himself. When I ain't no slave, I'm enabling him. I'm not talking. That's not. That's that's love. That's, that's that's something that you should do for your boo. So my wife was looking very pretty today. Please don't stop bringing me my tea in the morning. He, he can get his own tea. Now, if I'm up there trying to play the lottery first thing in the morning, and, and you don't want to disturb me. I don't want to disturb you. I know you're losing money. I know it's gambling, but no, you disturb me. Okay, now, <clears throat> here's some characteristics of, uh, of, of an enabler. And when you get an opportunity, one of the most tragic stories in all of the Bible is about a man named Eli. He had two sons. One name was Hophni, and the other was Phinehas. Do not name your sons Hophni and Phinehas. He was the first high priest of the entire nation during, he was, he was the high, let me just put it this way. He was the high priest of the nation of Israel during the time of Judges. During the time of Judges, when the Bible says there was no king and every man did what was right in his heart. Well, Eli was the, was the high priest during that time. Now watch this. What we learn about enablers is that you will find them in every walk of life. They live in million-dollar mansions, and they live in the city missions. Some people that are in city missions are there because they were, in, they were enablers. They let their husband gamble away all the money, and now they're living in the city mission. Some of these are highly educated, and others are illiterate. Some go to church every Sunday, and they talk about how they love Jesus, but at the same time, they're enabling their children, that child who passes, who, who does a temper tantrum in the middle of the uh, grocery store, and they're falling out, and you're so embarrassed that the ch your child is falling out, and you got to stop shopping, and, and you, you don't want anybody to think you're a bad parent. No, leave that joker right there on the floor, and I hope they hit their head, their leg, their backside, and their ankle, and then once they get finished with that, then they calm down. They still ain't going to get what they're crying about, but when they get home, they be crying all over again. 
again because the Bible says that he that spares the rod doesn't love his child. Because they're going to get a, a, a little bit of the love stick. And so it doesn't matter where, what the person's status or title is. You can be an enabler. Eli was an enabler. The Bible says of his sons that they were worthless and they did not know God. <laughs> now, it doesn't get any worse than that. God says they have no value. And they did not know him. But in spite of God's assessment of Eli's sons, he ordained them as priests. He put them over the church, put them over the, those who came to the, the synagogue or the temple. They were unsaved. They were ordained priests. They stole from the offering. When people would bring their, their portions of meat to the Lord, the Lord was supposed to get the fatty portion. They would get theirs first. And if you didn't do it, they would have temple guards that say, look, if you don't do what we say, you're you going you to get hurt. They bullied people. They abused their authority. They had sex with women on, on the church's property. In verse 22, in front of the tabernacle, instead of having prayer with the ladies, they were having sex with them. And here's the worst thing about these worthless, unsaved priests. Just because somebody has a title, that doesn't mean God called them. Some people went, but they were never sent. Here's the worst thing that could be said about Hophni and Phinehas. They didn't care. <laughs> In this political arena that we're trying to navigate right now, we have a president who doesn't care about the law. He doesn't care. He does not care. These men knew that everybody knew what they were doing, but they didn't care. Now, here's the problem. Eli's priority wasn't to please God, but to please his children. He was called to be the priest. He was called to get spiritual direction for the entire nation, but he put his children. Often, we're ready to put everybody's kids in jail. They ought to be in jail. And then your son or daughter does the same thing. First of all, we ain't telling nobody they did it. And then by the time they break us, now we're going to bankruptcy trying to keep them out of jail. We continue to build, we continue to build bend the rules. And that's what Eli, Eli did for his sons. And so enablers reside in all walks of life. Enablers rely on their feelings rather than facts. When Eli found out about what his sons did, he was upset. Man, he was, he, was, he was just couldn't believe what he was hearing. And he was so mad that he huffed and he puffed and he, he had a lot of bark. He rebuked them, the Bible says. But he didn't replace them. So he was operating in his feelings. He should have fired them. They should have never been placed in the position that they were in. He should have fired them. He could have sat them down. But instead, he just gave them a good talking to. And the Bible says they did not heed his words. What Eli didn't know by his enabling his sons that the Lord had made up his mind that he was going to kill those boys. I don't think there's too many things that are worse than for a parent to have to outlive their, their children. And sometimes that occurs because we didn't step in and correct behaviors. We enabled it. 
Stay with me. Stay with me. And so enablers rely on their feelings rather than facts. Enablers refuse to enforce or allow consequences. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, you shall reap what you sow. And so that kid comes in and their project is due. Um, they, they give you the entire assignment uh, at the beginning of the school year, and you get the dates and everything. And now you're into the week, and you're telling your kid, come on, you got to get your assignment done. Now three days, two days, down the run day. And guess who does the assignment? Eli did not allow his sons to suffer the consequence for their actions. Mom, you know they don't like me at that school. Every time I turn around, it's just been, yeah, I was on my cell phone. Yeah, I cussed her out. Yeah, I know she got a black eye. I didn't mean to hit her in the eye. I was trying to get her in the chin, but, but they hate my kid. One of the worst things that we can do as parents is to be overly protective and not allow our children to suffer the consequences of their behavior. If they don't do the work, they repeat the grade. Oh, what are they going to think? They're in the second grade for the third time. They're in the second grade not because they lack the, the mental capacity or the aptitude. They're in, that, they're in that grade because they haven't learned. Or maybe if I change schools, I put them in the private school, I put them in the um, self, then you bring them home. Oh, God. When your children or people you say you love, just like yourself, if you make a bad choice, there are consequences. And the best lesson that we can learn sometimes is when we put our hand over the fire that your parents said a hundred times, don't play with the fire. When you get burned, you ain't doing that no more. Enablers rebuke people that disagree with them. In Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, whoever corrects a mocker, somebody who thinks they know, somebody who, who just, just going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with you, whoever uh, uh, corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked rebukes the wicked, incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or they will hate you. Rebuke a wise person and they will love you. And so when you tell somebody what you saw their child do, well, I just don't get into people's business like that anymore. Or if you say to somebody, that's not right. I hear what you're saying, but what you're, this is not what happened. They say, oh, I thought you were my friend. I'm telling you the truth because I am your friend. An enabler will fight you when you tell them what's true if it's not what they want to hear. They're just doing another church. They just, they, they just getting all in my business. They don't understand how he said it. And what, it don't matter how they said it. Either you right or wrong. And sometimes it's not right or wrong. It's just a different way of looking at the same thing. Enablers repeat the same actions but expect different results. You know what that, the de that's the definition of? Insanity. You keep doing the same thing and making the same threats, and this time it's going to be different. And it never changes because you have not changed how you're dealing with what is going on that's unacceptable. Stay with me. Enablers reward themselves with temporal relief while for forfeiting eternal destiny. And so here's what happens when we're enablers. We want people to like us. 
We, want, we don't want to upset our kids. We want to be their friends, not their parents. God doesn't call you to be no friend. He called you to be a parent. And so when they smile at you after you, you, you put a happy face on what they did, you feel good because they didn't reject you. But what you don't understand is the Lord sent a prophet to Eli, and he said, because you have made your children the priority rather than my word, he said, if you had dealt with them properly, your, ha- your house would have been established forever. But because you became an enabler, because you supported their sin, not a male child for generations to come will ever sit in the place of a priest. And so sometimes you may get temporary relief. You may feel better that they liked you in that moment, but you are setting in motion generational curses over your children and their children. And sometimes what you take a stand for, it's not about what's going on in that moment. It's about what will happen if you don't take a stand for generations. Some of the things that the devil has has you have allowed to become dominant in your life. It's not even about you. Because what's going to happen is that same sin is going to repeat itself in your sons and your daughters and their daughters and their sons. This, the devil is after generations. That's why we have to take a stand and say, devil, I'm not going to help you anymore. Devil, I'm not going to cave anymore. Devil, I'm not giving into my emotions anymore. This is about generations. Eli felt okay in the moment after he gave his sons a rebuke. But what he set in motion was generational curses over all of the males that would follow him. Let me give you a cure. Let's, we talked about characteristics. We gave some clarifications. There's a difference between helping and enabling. We talked about seven things that are characteristics of people that are enablers, but here's the way to get a cure. Somebody say amen. Amen. Refuse to rescue people from rightful consequences. I'm not paying your ticket. You broke the law. You, You scramble up and get the money to pay it. Well, I don't work. Okay, let me give you some work to do. Release people to make their own choices. The prodigal son, he came to his father, I want my money now. And the father didn't have to give that boy his inheritance. The man was still alive. But he said, okay, you, you want to leave? You want this money? He said, you can choose. So you can choose your actions, but you can't choose the consequences of your actions. So he let his son go. And there's nothing more difficult than to watch your children squander their lives. He didn't just move around the corner. He didn't move with a cousin. He didn't move with a friend that he could put. He moved to another country, the Bible says. And he did everything that he could to act like he didn't know the kind of father who had raised him in the church. And the scripture says this boy ended up in a pig's pen, getting ready to eat 
the husk that pigs eat. And then the Bible said, in the midst of that consequence, in the midst of that situation, in the midst of understanding that it was because of his bad choices that he was in the pig's pen, the Bible says he came to himself. And he said, I will return to my father's house. And he returned. And now the father could help him because he was repentant. Recognize the difference between helping and, and enabling. Sometimes because it's your children. I have been there. I paid rent. I paid car notes. I've kept people out of jail that should be in jail. Even now, it's like, okay, dad. And if, when you get emotional about it, you have to have godly friends like these elders. I'll come to church. i say, look, I'm this, that, and the other. Let me, you guys need to help me help the pastor. I don't care how they think about me. I'm just trying to make a good decision. And often that keeps money in my pocket. <laughs> I recognize that when it comes to my sons, and my, I'm, I'm emotional about it. But I have had to watch some, some bad decisions being made, only to hear sometimes years later, thank you, Dad. Remove people and things that tempt you in your life. Don't, don't be enabling your, your flesh to sin. The Bible says, make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. You've got all these numbers that you memorize, all these places that, that call you when you're hurting. And, and, and a lot of times, these, these, these things that we struggle with, these addictions, it's porn or gambling or women, whatever it may be, it's when you're hurting. And, you know, we don't want to be in pain, and so we look for instant gratification. And we go right to our cell phone. you got all the numbers, all the places, all the secret accounts. Get rid of them. If you can't handle finances when you are depressed, give, that, give control to the person that will not release it to you, if you're serious. Don't make provisions for the filler. Well, I just wanted to see how strong I was. No. You just made, you just enabled your flesh to set you up. I want you to understand the devil didn't just come to make a, give you a bad day. He has come to kill, to steal, and destroy. He's trying to take you out of here. And then the people that got to deal with what happened to you are the ones who are heartbroken because of choices you made. You made provisions for the fulfillment of life. There's some friendships that you need to break off. There's some people you don't ever need to call. You shouldn't have alcohol in your house. Well, I'm not an alcoholic anymore, but every time you get depressed, you got to get drunk. Why would you put that in your, put yourself in that position? Recognize the difference between helping and hurting. Uh, enabling, remove people and things that tempt you. Jesus said, if your right arm offends you, cut it off. If you're right, and he ain't saying go get a, a saw and take your arm off. He's saying take radical actions to walk in obedience. That's where your authority comes. When the devil can't continue to manipulate you and defeat you, when you finally say, get thee behind me, Satan. I fall. 
calling 10 times. You got me yesterday. You might have got me last week. But devil, you ain't getting me today. Get thee behind me, Satan. Repent from the sins that you repent from the sin of enabling people to continue to sin. There's some things that you just need to say, you know what, Lord? I've been in this car. I've been, a, I've been an accomplice for my children, for my wife. I have, a, I have this thing. Don't reward bad behavior. You don't get to go on vacation when you blew all your money. Now I got to spend all mine. No, no, no. We'll, we'll send you pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and when we're eating in those places that you could have been eating, we make sure that you understand all the ingredients and, and the aromas, if we could send that through the cell phone. And finally, rely on the Holy Spirit for the results. Rely. I remember saying this to one of my sons. I said, son, I don't have a lot of money. What I do have is a reputation. I said, if you get in trouble, I'm not going to be able to help you. Of course, I ended up spending some money. Nothing like seeing a son in prison clothes. Nothing like it. Broke my heart. But I had to allow God to do what only God could do. Now, we had three teenagers when we were living in Niagara Falls. Stand with me. Three. When we relocated from Philadelphia, I don't think they spoke to us for almost a year, taking them from Philadelphia. Brandon was just a baby. And we gave all of them, they had an assignment to wash the dishes, and the guys had to take the trash out. Each one had a night. And all of them said, well, we can't wait until our turn. No. They despise washing the dishes and taking out the trash. And when we first implemented that rule, there would be days when I come home and the dishes were still in the sink waiting for my wife. And the trash was still sometimes overflowing. And I would jump in sometimes. My wife would, we wash these dishes. And he said, the more we washed and took the trash out, the more time would expect, more times would, would occur that they wouldn't do it. So I said, huh. Now, I didn't know anything about enabling and helping that, but I just said, you know what? Something's wrong with this picture. So here's what my decision was in terms of consequences. I would wait until 3 in the morning. 3. And I would wake that joker up. And joker S. <laughs> and, in, and direct them to the dishes while I return 
to the comfort of our bed. And then there were times when the guys didn't want to put the garbage out, so I had a solution for that. I would take the cans, wherever they were, and they didn't have wives. I figured I was preparing them for, you know, getting married. So I put the trash cans in their beds. What a terrible thing to do! I can't believe that you would do that! That's just unsanitary! Guess what? After doing that a few times, we didn't have any problems anymore. I decided that I was not going to do what they could do for themselves. I had enough sense to understand that I would be crippling them, teaching them that somebody had to take care of them. No, you can take care of yourself. I want you to know that there's power when we obey the word of God. Don't give in to your emotions and wait on him. Wait on God to do what only he can do. Let us pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you.